You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I wanted to talk a little bit about a topic that's uh, really important to a lot of people in this world, seems to me. And that's the topic of money. I think money, I mean, it, it clearly is attached to things of joy in our life, right? I mean, if you enjoy something as simple as attending a sporting event these days, the tickets are very expensive, or going to a concert, see an artist you like, oftentimes the tickets are triple digits now just to go to a show. Um, that's one person, you know? Generally speaking, you don't go alone to too many things. Restaurants, I used to be able to go to a fine dining restaurant and have a really good dinner and with tip and spend about 120 just on me, and that would be a really nice dinner. But now that's, you know, it's probably up to 150. Um, so if you have a couple and you go out to a fine dining restaurant, you're probably spending over $300. Uh, depending on what you get for drinks, but that, you know, you have to remember tipping and all that too. So, um, cars, of course, uh, I just got a new Honda Accord EX is all it was, but it was about 30 grand. Um, and I only got a new one so that I, I can own it. Uh, down the road, when I'm going to be even more poor than I am now, I don't want to have a car payment. And I wanted to get out. I needed to break my lease chain. I have been leasing since my divorce. I didn't have enough money to buy a car because I never had a down payment because my ex took our car in the divorce. I signed it over to her. So I had no um, car to trade in and no down payment money. So I had to go with a zero down lease. And I've been doing that ever since. So that's since uh, December of 99 or January of 2000. Uh, I've been leasing, I had been leasing. And it gets you trapped. It's a it's a good, um, good way to get a new car every three years or so. But you can't ever escape a car payment, you know. And the car payments were staying the same. It's amazing. That's the one thing over the uh, 23 or 24 years since my divorce, the one bill that never really changed, in fact, it would get lower sometimes, would be my car lease payment. It was always around 300 bucks a month um, for a new Honda Accord LX. And um, so I always had a functioning car. Um, but I knew that it someday it would be nice not to have a car payment and have a good running car and to own it. And, um, you know, that's $300 more a month in your pocket, which may not sound a lot to people that have money, but to people like me who've lived his whole life without money, um, since my divorce, um, especially, um, it's, it's a lot of money, $300 a month. I like that. It's a nice benefit to have $300 more a month, you know? So, um, yeah, so I bought a car so that at some point when I'm 62 and I'm on social security, cause I have to take it early, 
I will have uh, the benefit of not having a car payment. Um, but I had to outlay a decent chunk to buy it, but I couldn't afford to buy the whole thing. I would have just would have taken too much out of my retirement fund. So I just put a chunk down and carrying a payment for five more years still. And um, because it's 30 bucks, I mean, 30 grand for a decent car, I could have gotten a little bit cheaper, uh, got a regular Honda Accord, but I wanted something a little bit, I wanted something I, that I was excited about putting money out for. So I spent a few more grand, not many more, to get an Accord, but they're 30 grand now, just just for an Accord. Um, you know, this is the world we live in now, money. And if you go on social media at all, you see people, especially young people today, spending a lot of money. <clears throat> I'm moving into a new apartment complex that's way too expensive. I'm getting the smallest, tiniest place there. And it's still going to increase my rent monthly by about $70, $80 from where I am now. And it's much smaller. But it, I want to go somewhere new. And I need to go somewhere or I want to go somewhere um, that's brand new and that has a washer and dryer in the, my apartment and is on the ground floor because of stairs because I'm older now and so on. So I had to pick all of these things and, and this is what I came up with. And unfortunately, it's a very pricey place and I see who's moving in there and it's a bunch of young people. It's a bunch of people in their late 20s and early 30s that can afford to throw money away on overpriced apartments. But this is the world we live in. All apartments are overpriced. All houses cost too much. All cars cost too much. And then you look on social media and you see these people, like on Snapchat, which I only uh, created because my sons are on there. I try, to, I try to have a couple social media just to keep tabs on my sons a little bit, although neither of them really post on social media anymore. So um, one of them doesn't at all. The other two... Very rarely. But I see on Snapchat, they have these, what do they call them? Hosts or uh, guides or whatever. They're people that are paid by Snapchat for you to click on them because they're pretty girls or something. And they're showing you they're doing all these fun things. But every literally seconds, they talk for like three seconds and they can put an ad in. And then they, and you have to, it's constantly clicking on the screen to move past ads. It's a very clever, brainwashing, evil technique. It's kind of like the way YouTube's becoming now because of what? Again, money. You can't watch anyone's YouTube video now without tons of ads, tons. It used to be like a you get a couple at the beginning and that was it. And then maybe a couple would pop up in the middle somewhere. But now, if you watch a video that's any length, like 20 minutes, You'll get like four times during the video it throws in ads. And we're not talking just skip it. You can skip the ads in five seconds, that thing. We're talking about like a 30-second uh, ad, and then maybe the second one's only five seconds, but there's two in a row, you know, or maybe the first one's 30 seconds and the next one you can skip in five seconds or whatever. But every it's just money, money, money. And so you can't watch anything online anymore, it seems, without these advertisers being able to throw their information in your eyes and in your brain. You're absorbing some form of brainwashing and advertising, um, no matter what you do online anymore, because it's all about getting your money, 
getting the money that if you're like me, you don't even have to spend. So you're getting this uncomfortable brainwashing and it's no good for you because <clears throat> they're not going to get any money. It's like you wish you could say to them, dude, just please, with me, let's cut the ads out because it's not going to get you anywhere. <clears throat> You're wasting your time. Can I just have a pain-free online experience? Alternatively, some of it works, and I end up thinking I want something that I didn't, and then I'm screwed because I don't have the money to get it, or I spend the money that I don't have to get it, and then I really don't have any money because I stupidly bought something I shouldn't have because of this damn advertising. Or I don't buy it because I don't have the money and then I hate my life and hate myself that I don't have X that they kept brainwashing me with. And that's the worst thing about money. It's not having it. It's not choosing not to spend it. It's when you want it for something and don't have it. That's when money really hurts you. That's when money does its most damage its most corrosive effect on mankind. When, when the show of money causes desire and the person who has the desire doesn't have the money to have the thing it desires. And so it has to live without constantly wanting, constantly feeling unsatisfied. And that's a problem of our current culture. That's a problem very much related to the internet. Used to be television, remember? Like if you watch the movie Network, written by the brilliant Patty Chayefsky. Still a great movie. Just watched it with my sons a couple months ago. But the, the message is the boob tube, the TV. There's that speech by Peter Finch's character where says you you start walking like a tb a tube you think like the tube you, you you know and it's all about the television the power of the television well of course that's kind of that's the one area where the the movie's dated but it really isn't you just take it from the tu- the tube and you take it to the net you know take one letter off <laughs> instead of a four letter word the tube now it's the net net a three letter word but it's the same thing Now everybody walks like the net. They think like the net. They talk like the net. Because, no, we don't sit in front of the tube anymore. But it's worse. We sit in front of our phones. We're we're no longer even in a family room, like with friends or family, watching a TV that's influencing us and making us think what we think. Now we could be sitting on the toilet. We could be sitting on a bus. We could be walking down a street. And we're thinking things that we wouldn't otherwise be thinking because of what we're sticking in front of our face in our own hand. And what we're sticking in our brains with our own hands via our phones, via data sharing and the internet is about money. It's all about money. You know, because if it's if it's lust, it's about clothing or lack thereof, but style, fashion, all of which is expensive to really pull off. And as we know, women in particular cost money. It's hard to have a girlfriend or have a woman interested in you at any age with no money. You'd have to have a really long dick (laughs) 
or otherwise have something going for you that that woman really likes if you don't have the money. So we all see these things we want and how do we get what we want without the money? We really, we can't because the money is what gets them all and that's why we're seeing them all because we're being fed it because the people feeding it to us want the money. So you go on Snapchat, for example, and you see these welcomers or whatever they're called and every little ad in between is is about money but even the people themselves if you watch these girls and you're watching them because they're pretty but they're 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 pretty and they're young and they're doing things and seeing things and traveling places all of which costs a lot of money and i don't know how much of it they're paying for versus some guy who's wooing them or boyfriend who's shoving out money i don't know you know, in today's culture, maybe they have, maybe they're making a ton of money and they're spending a ton of their own money, but it's still ungodly, unseemly. It's, and and it's, it's uh, depressing. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was just looking at one of those Snapchat girls and she is with her boyfriend in New York City. And I think they live in LA. Now, isn't that convenient? How convenient that the people that are on Snapchat that we're getting fed shit from live in very expensive places and travel to the other very expensive places. Oh, and by the way, her boyfriend and her just came back recently from Japan, which is another thing all the rich young people do. They go to places like Japan and Hawaii, very expensive places, and they show it to us and they look, it looks really cool. And of course, it makes you want to do that. Oh, by the way, there's just one problem. You don't have the fucking money to do it like they do. You know, the hell with the fact that you're not young and pretty anymore. So nobody's going to want to be around you when you go to these places. Everybody's just going to be avoiding you and you're going to be alone there. And oh, by the way, you don't have a girlfriend or a wife or anyone. So you'd be traveling alone somewhere and everyone would just sort of avoid you. But B, you couldn't afford to do it. <laughs> but hey, let's look at it and let's see how cool it is. And let's let's wish we had it. Yep. I don't really feel that way about traveling because I've never been a big traveler. But I also very, very much appreciate the joy of a good vacation, you know? Nobody, as a boy growing, growing up, appreciated more than me the beauty of being in a beach town or in a location that was had uh, culture. I loved that shit. So... I can tell myself I don't really need to travel because I haven't done hardly any of it for the last 25 years since my divorce because I haven't had the money to. But, you know, I've been all right without it because I don't usually feed my brain that kind of stuff to make myself desire all of that. And I tell myself I'm fine without it. But the reality is when I remember (laughs) what it was like to travel 30, 40 years ago, I loved it. You know, the, the... Aside from the exhaustion that comes from all the bustling around and the transportation, which I think, you know, people always skip over that part when they tell you about their wonderful trips, you know, the gas smells and the long traffic waiting in taxis or other devices and just, and even when I did travel once to Chicago, which my God was 17 years ago now which is the last time I was on an airplane. Um, 
I did a lot of walking. I was younger. I was 17 years younger. I was, what, 40? And I could, I could walk, and I walked all over the city. I walked like crazy. I could never do that now. And it, it, was, it was like 100 degrees that, uh, in Chicago when I was there. And yet I walked everywhere. Imagine that. I'd be dead today trying that. Uh, but it saved a lot of money is the point. You know what I mean? I got to see and do all these things walking, and so it saved a lot of money. But if I had to sit in a, any kind of transportation device in Chicago, it would have been a nightmare because a couple times I had to, uh, going into, coming out of the city, and I went to a party with a friend once who was there, and he drove. It was just the traffic was insane. You get in a city the size of Chicago, and when I was there, they don't have left turn arrows, green arrows. They don't have that in downtown Chicago. They may have changed since then, but this was 2006. They didn't have left turn green arrows, so every intersection, when you wanted to make a left, you would sit there and sit there and sit there, you know, waiting out the traffic coming in the opposite direction before you could turn. And you wouldn't make the light. Like two, three times in a row, you wouldn't make the light. And finally, the car would force its way in and almost cause a wreck just to make the fucking left. It was a nightmare. I mean, but the point is, that's what you do when you have money. You sit in the traffic then. And if you don't have money, then you're walking everywhere. Either way, it's not pretty. But nobody talks about that. They don't talk about the transportation woes that come with traveling. Or perhaps the jet lag if you're going out west or further away. They don't talk about that. Um, And seeing sights and actually experiencing locations involves transportation. You have to go there. You can get to a nice hotel um, or even a beach house. But if that's all you do, it's very limited. I mean, if you go to a really nice hotel, let's say in London... You're just in a hotel. You know, you're not really experiencing London. So you got to get out. You got to get into transportation and go and do things. None of that is really exciting. <laughs> you know? I, I, get, I get car sick uh, as a passenger in someone else's vehicle. Unless I'm sitting up front next to them. All my life, I get motion sickness. So sitting in the back of an Uber or a cab or... It's not good for me. I don't like it. It makes me sick. So then I get to a restaurant or a museum or wherever I'm traveling to, and I feel sick. And it might linger for an hour or more before the nausea goes away. It's just the way it is. So my point of this is just to make it – it's one example. I'm sure you have your own – of why traveling, and as fancy and desirous as it looks, can be a pain in the ass too. But having said that, I do remember the experience of it. You can't really, you can't simulate or replace via online the experience of being absorbed within a different culture or certainly an ocean or a sunset or being within a, a building or looking at whatever it is you're seeing, whether it's architecture or art. You can't fake that. And people, the different cultural people around you, the different atmosphere. Every city, every location has its own life to it, its own sense of being. You can't fabricate that. Um, Without traveling into it, you don't really know about that. 
you can read it about it online. You can, but it's not the same, you know. So I don't mean to put traveling down fully. I mean, I absolutely know the value in it, and um, but it's very expensive, you know. When you when you add the the you could, you could think, oh, the plane ticket, I can do that, and uh, back and forth from the airport, I can swing that. I can eat cheap. You can try to make it cheap all you want. But where are you staying? If you're staying in a shitty place where you are, then you can't stay in it. You've got to get out and move about. You know, every day you got to get up and go because your place is shit. If you have no view, you know, if it's not in and of itself a, a cool place to be. And if you're only going there for the location, then you got to get up and get out and into that location. What are you going to do when you're out there? You have to spend money. Again, transportation to get to places or we're going to do a lot of walking then. And wherever you go, you're going to want to buy something or eat something or do something. You know, it costs money. So before you know it, little getaways add up, even on your own. It's expensive, you know. A couple nights somewhere nice. Just getting there, having a couple nice meals, probably 1500 bucks. One person, solo, alone. Now... Maybe 1500 bucks is nothing to the young people of today uh, or the people that are working in good jobs today. Maybe 1500 for a weekend getaway. Maybe there are people that could do it every weekend. I don't know. But I'm not, that, I'm not in that place at all. So I never have been in my entire life. And yet I go online and what do I see? I see all these people traveling and doing all of these things that cost more than that. And I saw this girl and her fiance in New York City, or boyfriend, I guess, is all. And they're eating at this restaurant. And it's called uh, 11 11 Madison Park. And it's plant-based, so it's not my thing at all. I'm very much a meat eater. But uh, it's a real fancy four-star restaurant, downtown Manhattan, right outside, uh, I guess, Madison Square Park or whatever. Uh, in New York, um, Madison Avenue Park. I, I don't know. Madison something park in New York. But I see the, the it's a tasting, food tasting restaurant, real fancy, but real small. And it absolutely makes you think in the movie, The Menu. And, you know, there's one chef that runs it. And the restaurant talks about his name right up front. One of those prestige of the chef type places. But here's what I thought, even though I wasn't, keen on that particular place I realized I love that shit I love that shit you know I am at my at my heart of hearts a foodie um but it doesn't mean it's all good they have all kinds of fancy places they have them here in Pittsburgh they have them of course in New York and so on and so forth but not all of them are that good and a lot of them are knockoffs of other places and you get a, a lower-grade chef pretending to have a fancy fine dining place and he really isn't all that good at what he does or she does. And and you never know until you go, you know, until you put out the bucks, until you fork out the money to give it a try. You don't know if you're dealing with somebody who's really legitimately high-quality cuisine or not. And, of course, once you put out that money, you're, you're biased towards that event, that dinner, that meal. You're going to think it's great because you're spending so damn much on it. You're going to overrate it. You're going to say it's wonderful <laughs> because it better be, damn it. Even if in the end it's really not that wonderful, you know. 
Are you being honest with yourself? But all that aside, I just love those experiences. And I would love to do them frequently. Especially since when you go to a really high caliber restaurant, you can have very healthy dinners and meals that it's not like if you ate out regularly at those kind of places, you'd necessarily blow up like a balloon. You, you, you can definitely maintain your weight and be okay eating at those places because they know how to make food without overdoing it. Whereas if you go to most places in Pittsburgh, it's all, you know, greasy, carby, you know, shit with tons of added calories, sugary, it's just, it's just a lot of shit. And when you're going out to eat in Pittsburgh, unless you're spending a lot of money, you know, you're not going to, you're going to be having too many calories and too much unhealthy food types. Um, if you ate there regularly, it's really hard to get well-made healthy meals unless you spend the big bucks and go to a fancier place. And then you're getting less food <laughs> for more money, but it's good quality food and it's better for you. But there's less, there's always less portions in these fancy restaurants too. But I, I'm digressing there big time. What I really mean to say is I love it. I love it. And that's my temptation. If you want to know where I would, um, what I would do with money and the desire I get online and what breaks my heart and makes life depressing for me, it's not so much to spend on travel it's not at all to spend on clothing. It's not at all to buy a more expensive car or to live in a big house at all. I have no desire to care for a big house. I wouldn't feel safe in a big house these days. If I had a fancy, nice home, I'd be scared to live there. I really would. I'm afraid of people. I'll be the first to admit it. All the shooters out there and um, the nastiness inside people that we've seen from Trump being president, to see the ugliness underneath the surface. I'm, I have a whole different perspective on people. I used to think of people as basically good and wanting to reach out. And every time I went out into the world, I believed I could have an experience of, of God showing himself through people in my life. But I don't really think that way anymore. I'm, I try to go out and come back and avoid as much contact as I can because I've just been hurt so much. It's not just you know, the shooters and the objective things that have that have happened that are out there that are dangerous in our society now. It's just me. I've just, I put my heart out there a lot. I lived for people. And boy, did they, they kick the shit out of me, you know, internally, my heart. Uh, I, I learned the hard way about putting out for people. And so... I don't really have these desires that a lot of these people have to like be in a fancy house. I'd be scared there that someone would break in or be jealous of me or I'd be the victim of some sort of attack or at least negative thoughts, if nothing else, just because I lived in a nice house. You know, I don't really desire to be resented or I don't want people to be jealous of me. I don't want to have things where others are looking at me. Uh, the the only thing I would the only way I would like that is if I was famous because having money and fame together gives you a protective coating around you. Do you ever notice the movie stars? They're not 
usually, they're not attacked. All these shootings and all this violence in our culture, and yet the movie stars, nobody wants to hurt them, you know, because at the end of the day, they're not only something we look up to because of their wealth, but they're also a celebrity and we feel we know them. And there's something about being famous and rich that's like, okay, people don't really despise or they're not jealous of, they're not resentful toward the famous and rich. They just aspire to be that themselves. They, they, they look up to it, they actually admire it. They think, they think a lot of it, um, a lot of positive things. So if I were famous and then had money, I would be less afraid than if I was just some guy that had a big house, you know, or a guy trying to keep a car, an expensive car safe from vandalism or whatever. I'd feel safer if I was famous and wealthy. But when, you know, when you realize how unlikely now at this point impossible that is for me, well, then why do I want the money? I'm just going to be more of a target and, and uh, set myself up to be victimized and bashed and, and worse. And I don't want that. So I'm very content to hide out and have less. Um, I think also a Christian upbringing, which I've had my whole life, and I maintain, I try to maintain faith in, in, in um, the hereafter, has absolutely taught me humility, especially with respect to money. And, I, and I've never sought that out, and I've never had that drive to have the money. But saying all of that, when I get online, uh, two things that are my weaknesses that I do desire that take money. One is to be generous. I desire to be generous. To who? Well, to everybody, to my family, to my children, uh, but also to a woman particularly, to find a woman who I could be generous towards, who came to love me because of my generosity. So you're saying you're buying the love. Yeah, but that's not really how it works. If you know what it's like to be kind and generous towards a woman and give her women. And I, I know this sounds very sexist, but it just happens to be true or at least more true than not true. Women really appreciate material things even more than men. They really do. They really, there's a lot they want. You know, they're, they're big into money. They like jewelry, which is expensive. They like shoes. They like purses. They like to get their nails done and their hair done. All that very expensive. Uh, they like going out to dinners that are expensive. You know, they like fancy cars. They like being in fancy cars. Uh, they like owning nice houses. They like yards and and on and on. It's just the things that women like are expensive. They like travel. They like travel a lot. So. I, you know, I'm alone, I'm single, and it would be nice to be able to be generous to a woman and perhaps, by my generosity alone, earn her affection and therefore earn a partner who was somebody I was excited to be around because there was somebody who was attractive to me, which is still important no matter how old and fat and ugly you get as a man. You still know the difference between someone who's beautiful and someone who's not. And you still would prefer to be with someone beautiful. But if you can't be with somebody beautiful anymore, you'll take whoever you can find. But there has to be some draw there. And what is it then? If it's not the beauty, 
Then it's the companionship. But how do you learn about the companionship until you're with someone? And why would you be with them if they're not pretty? <laughs> so it's a, it's a tough battle that money overcomes, that generosity and the ability to be generous gets you over that hurdle, the dilemma of being older and being with someone who excites you. Money answers the question, how can you do that? How can it happen? Money. Now you say money, but I say generosity because I really do believe, I know a lot of people out there hate older men with younger women and they hate the idea of a man buying a woman and they bash it, but it's really just jealousy. Because at the end of the day, what's the difference between buying companionship with a woman you're excited to be with or buying a new car you're excited to drive or buying a trip somewhere or buying a fancy dinner? I mean, the point is you want something that pleases you and it costs money. And so love in the end can't be bought. But their time can be bought, and if you're a good enough person and you're generous and you're smart about it, you can be loved for being in their presence and being generous. And then it's actual real love and just because you spent the money. It would be, for example, if you're a regular at a bar and you go there and you're spending money and you tip good, but the people there really like you and they're very nice to you because you're nice to them when you're there. And they get along with you. And everybody likes each other. But you're spending money and you're buying, you're buying your time there. And sure, that's why they like you. If you took the money away, they wouldn't like you as much. But they still like you. And it's still real and the conversation's real. It's, it's, that's just one example. But the point is, money is your inlay to something that then takes over, that is, transcends the money. And that's the way I see older men, potentially. If there's a, a woman, one woman, not many, not a bunch of, you know, high-priced call girls or whatever. You know? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, finding someone that you're attracted to, that you're interested in, who may only look your way if you're generous with them. And when you are, they're happy, you're happy, and everybody starts to get to like each other and, and love can develop. Why not? So that's the way I look at it all. So that's one thing I desire when I get online. I wish I had money because I could buy a love that would actually excite me again, a love that would reignite my passions, uh, uh, the type of love that would make me want to write songs again and, and, uh, and travel. <laughs> that's the problem is that kind of, uh, purchase, let's say, that kind of use of money, spending it generously on a woman and finding love is very expensive because if, first of all, you have to have enough to really impress her versus other men that are throwing money out there. But secondly, secondarily, it involves travel with women. The real way to impress women is travel. And uh, that means you got to pay for them and you two flights, a room, two, dinner for two, you know, traveling. Um, so suddenly, the one thing you couldn't even ex afford, travel, you have to afford it times two plus the generosity. It's, it's, in other words, it's impossible unless you're, unless you're well off. Um, it's impossible. 
So that's something I see online that I desire that I can't have. That's completely out of my reach now for the rest of my existence. And I realize that with a lot of defeat and sadness because I wasn't able to find that kind of love or any kind of love in the 20, almost 24 years now uh, of my separation divorce. I haven't found it. So, and to realize that however long I live now for the rest of my life, I'm not going to find it absent some other way that has nothing to do with money. And I can't think of a good way to find love that I'll actually be excited about and happy to have that doesn't involve being generous with a woman. I can't think of one. I, I, I know that happens, but I think it generally happens with younger people. I think if you're in your 20s or younger, in high school still, <clears throat> you have a good shot still of finding love with the opposite gender that has nothing to do with money. But I think once you get into your 30s and above, the chances of finding love in such a way that doesn't involve money are slim to none, I think. And I just don't really know how to go about that. And I haven't succeeded. Believe me, I've tried. I've tried every method of finding love you could, you could try over the last 24 years. But to me, the only one that worked ever, the only time I got close to earning a girl's affection and love, it was with money. It was literally earning it by being generous. That's the only thing that works. And people want to slam you for it and put you down for it. But the reality is we live in a world where money is what works. Money is what brings joy into our lives. And so I have found personally in the last 24 years that money is the only way to truly get even close to love. But still I haven't managed to find it. And now I realize that I have to try to find it for the rest of my life or not try without money. And I don't know how that would ever happen. And the second thing that I desire when I get online that I don't have the money for, that I wish I did, are nice meals. Or, or going to plays or going out to shows. Because I appreciate the arts. And I appreciate fine dining. Like I really get a lot out of it. You know, I think a lot of people go and do those things, but they don't really like them that much. I think a lot of people just spend the money and do these things and it's no big deal to them. But it, I, it really enlivens me and, and, and enlightens me and um, means a lot to me. Uh, I have memories of a lot of really good dinners out and good times with people. And I, and I, and I like that atmosphere at a nice restaurant with somebody, family friend. I like that feeling. And, um, and I also like, I've enjoyed concerts and I've enjoyed plays in my life. I remember them. Although I can't say I'd be doing a lot of that, but I mean, they're so pricey now that it's hard to select like which one would you go to see for that chunk of money, you know? Um, if I could go to a bunch of them, maybe I would, you know, maybe I would because I wouldn't have to be worrying about which one to spend my money on. But as it is, I, yeah, I guess I, I guess I can do without those. But the meals, man, the meals. I can do without the traveling. But I honestly wish, even though I live in Pittsburgh, a new restaurant pops up somewhere. I'd love to go and have a nice dinner there. And I'm sure I could find a way to do that still. 
And maybe I will. Maybe this podcast will inspire me. But what I'm saying is when you go online and you see these places in New York and you see these young couple from fucking L.A. And they're flying. All, they flew all the way to New York and they're going down to this place. And, you know, and I'm like, wow. You know, the thing about humility and trying to be humble and living poor and being okay with it, it really is not being overwhelmed by or focusing on creatures and things and objects. You know, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind, you know. Hear no evil, see no evil, you know. It's, it really is... What do we cover? Or the the line from Silence of the Lambs. What do we cover, Clarice? We cover what we see every day. We covet. Did I say cover? God, I'm losing my brain. We covet. What do we covet, Clarice? We covet what we see every day. So you get online and you see this shit and you want it. But if you don't see it and you're unaware of it, you can live very fine and humbly eating your shit food <laughs> that you make in your shitty way, non-chef-like way, you know, regularly. And it's good for you and you can enjoy your meals. You can pick things you like and make them and be happy. And you don't have to know what you're missing. And it's the same is true about love or sex. The same is true about companionship. If you have a good cat you love, <laughs> Or, you know, just living the life of the mind, enjoying the arts at home, you know, where they're relatively cheap, where you just pay for streaming fees every month um, to listen to music or watch the newest movies or TV series. Um, You can be okay with that. And I have been. I have been. But then I realize, I step back and I realize the power that money has over people's minds and I realize how pathetic I must appear to most people since most people allow money to be the focus of their world and most people need to do these things that are out there. Most people allow themselves to be drawn towards creatures and things and they get online and they see and they have so many more desires than I do and they want so much more than I do. They don't have the money for it. So they must be living in such suffering to live their lives as they are. And even if they aren't and if they have more money and they're doing it, they must look at someone like me as pathetic, as as failed, you know, because I'm not doing more. I'm not wearing clothes of any kind, really, but these days. But I'm not wearing fancy clothes. I'm not driving a better car. I'm not living somewhere exciting. I'm not traveling. I'm not, you know, nobody loves me. I don't have a companion. I must be, you know, I must have no value. And so that's how money can, if you let it, a lack of money can make you feel like you lack value when that's not true. So, but, but what I'm saying is no matter how much you might think, I don't need money. And even these coupled areas of desire that I get when I look online, which is the desire to be generous and find love with a woman who is exciting to me. And secondly, the desire to eat out at fancy restaurants frequently. When I see those 
two things, and that's all that I really want that I don't have, uh, to realize that even if I'm okay with not having those things, and even though I don't think I'm a loser, a failure, because I don't have those two things I desire, because I'm alone, because I don't eat out, I, I, I can say just because I'm okay with it, I know a lot of other people think less of me for it. And not only that, they probably make other things up that are wrong with me to tell themselves, well, why is Ray sh- a, a shut-in? He must be X, Y, or Z. He must have these problems, these issues. You know, it's very easy to judge someone who's not showing off. The more you get out there and do, the more you seem like, oh, he's cool. He has a good life. He's happy. Look at him. Where when you stay to yourself, they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? So this humbleness and this living in poverty and this living with humility, you can be happy with it. You can find a way to be at peace with that. As I think I have for the most part, I really have. But others will perceive you as being fucked up or in misery or suffering or, you know, having problems with addiction or maybe depression or they'll find reasons. They'll tell themselves what's wrong with you because nobody can be happy that way, can they? Because most people live for money. They live for money. And so if they see someone who doesn't, there must be something wrong with that person. They don't buy it. You tell them, no, I'm at peace, I'm cool. Uh Uh-huh. They don't buy it because they would never feel happy that way. So you must be, there must be a reason you retired early beyond just your desire to. There must be something wrong because no one would accept living that way. Everybody would have to want more, wouldn't they? You know, and the moment you admit, yeah, there's a couple things I'd like more, like I've said on this podcast, But no, overall, obviously, if I really wanted those things, I'd be out there trying to get them still. There are ways you can make money, find ways to get more money. You know, I'd be be trying to scheme up one of those ways if I really wanted these things that badly. Instead, I I weigh the, you know, the cost benefit. It's a cost benefit analysis. And to me, at the end of the day, Poverty's cooler for me than wealth. And I know that, you know, it sounds like horseshit. And even in those, in those moments where I desire something I can't afford, it is in those moments. There are those moments where I wish, oh, man, I wish I could do that. And I feel like you're living a horseshit life. You're telling yourself it's okay and you're really unhappy in those moments. But they go away. Those moments go away and I come back to a place of contentment in my life of relative poverty. Because let's be honest, it's not that much poverty, right? I'm living in a place that's clean and decent and has nice features and I'm, you know, eating what I want and I, 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 you know, I bought a new car. So the point is, look, you have to look on the bright side in life. Money can get you down. I'll wrap it up this way, very simple. Talking about myself, not because I'm justifying my life or wanting to talk about myself, frankly. I wanted to talk about myself as an open book, as a story to inspire you, the listener, to not have, to be okay not having money. I'm trying to inspire you to realize it's not, a, it's not an indictment of your person if you don't have money. 
And yes, it's possible to live with some lingering desires that are unmet, but for the most part, contentment, even without having things or creatures around you. You can find relative happiness. Number one, just be healthy. Try to stay healthy, right? That, that's what'll get you. And guess what, my friend? If you don't have your health, it doesn't matter how much money you have. And guess what, my friend? No matter how much money you have, you can't take it with you. We're all going to die. So one way or another, our hells will fail us. And the amount of money we have on those days and that day, that final day, won't amount to a hill of beans. And so another way to tell yourself that it's okay to live in relative poverty is to say, at the end of the day, we're all coming to the same place. And all the toys that this person might have accumulated throughout their days, he or she is now right where I am. And we're equal. (laughs) And all that stuff doesn't matter. And all those are just memories now. Places they went, people they saw, cars they drove, whatever. They're just fleeting memories. And what's left is facing the end. And I think, I have a theory that the less you run around distracted by things and creatures in life, the more you are coming to terms as you exist with that kind of reality, the ending of it all. And so therefore, when the ending comes, you'll be better prepared for it than the person who's been traveling and running around and distracting themselves all their life. I think they'll be in a panic state, probably. They'll have a lot more fear. I don't wish it on them. I'm not saying, good, see, I win, ha, ha, ha. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, consider that as a benefit that can come out of living humbly, which is you'll be prepared, more prepared for the ending than you would be otherwise. And you'll be more at peace with the ending otherwise. And you're frankly not going to leave that much behind. <laughs> Except the people in your life. Which, which that, sorry. I know we're getting to 50 minutes now, but I want to acknowledge that. That's the one thing I desire too that I don't have because of money, which is people in your life. Just as you can buy companionship of a woman by being generous, you can buy friends by being generous. And you can... Not only that, just meet more people by being out and traveling. And you can have people that you've run into that you consider friends that you met because you were out living life. So there's no question. There's no question that's a loss. You lose not only a companionship when you don't have money, but you lose friends. You lose meeting new people and and having people that make you laugh and smile. But guess what? You also lose all the shitheads. You also lose all the grief that people cause and all the heartache. So I don't know which is more. That's up to you to decide. If you think being around people and making friends is more important than all the bad things that can come from people, then you're probably going to want more money than me. (laughs) And I can tell you that my overall sense that I don't really, really get along well with people, that I don't really jive with people, is probably a major factor in why I'm content to live in relative poverty. It's probably my lack of need for money is probably a big factor in that is probably this sense of, you know, I'm happier, I'm most happy when I'm not around people. I still wish I could like people more. I wish I met more people I loved. 
but I just hasn't worked out for me. I've certainly made an effort over the course of my life and I'm just by and large happier, uh, relatively isolated. So it's another reason why I am legitimately content not to have money. Uh, but maybe you're different and maybe you'd never be content because maybe you crave people and you need them and you need their affirmations and their, and just their company. And if so, then you're probably going to need some money because it's pretty hard to have uh, lasting relationships with people unless you're uh, at the very least spending some money to go out and meet them somewhere, even if it's a cup of coffee. <laughs> I mean, that's increased gas in the car and on and on. <laughs> you get the idea. It's it's not free to have people in your life. It's not It's not something that doesn't cost some money. So... At the end of the day, all I will tell you is to try your best to be happy without money. I can't believe that it's anything but good to make that effort. I don't believe there's a person alive who wouldn't be happier in their life in general if they tried more to be happy without money. And that if you require money to be happy, I think you're in for a life of struggle because you're never going to really have enough. There's always more things to want. There's always more to desire and to feel like you're inadequate because you don't have this or that. So once you go down that road, it's a slippery slope. It really is. You're like a snowball rolling downhill, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, your desire is just going to grow and grow and grow because there's so much you could want out there. And believe me, the advertisers online and on the tube, are working hard to make you want it. They're making hard to make you want it. They're making, they're making hard? They're making you hard as you want it. <laughs> and, uh, and so try harder not to desire money. Try harder not to desire things and objects and places and, and people. Uh, I think... You can love people without desiring them in your life. You can love people without needing them. Just as I've learned to be fine, relatively fine, with no companion and with no sex. You get okay with it. And it's not some tragedy, some horrible thing to imagine living the rest of your life alone. The only scary part is dying alone if you have a health issue, a crisis, and you can't call 911 and your partner was with you. They could do it for you. Maybe you would live. But you're going to die now because... Nobody can dial that phone for you and you can't reach it. And that's the only negative. God, what a, what a horribly, horribly bleak way to end this podcast, that thought. But it's the one lingering, one lingering negative thing about imagining living alone is that there are a lot of instances where being in the company of others uh, can save your life, you know, via CPR or whatnot. Uh, and if you're alone all the time, Probably those, if you have one of those stroke heart attack moments, that's probably going to be it for you. You know, it's probably going to be it because nobody was there to help you out. So you might only get one and done where other people might be able to have two and three heart attacks before they die. (laughs) Oh, it's so depressing. Okay, look, instead of being depressed, just try to not want money so much. That's all. Boom. Simple, easy solution. Work on it. Get good at it. Fight off the desire for money. I'm telling you, 
It is the better way to live. It just is. And then, and then guess what? Maybe a pocket of money falls to you here or there. Maybe little pieces of money come along and you can have joy in life still. You, hey, I got a little money and it means a lot to you then. And when you spend it, it fills you with tremendous joy because you're, it's such a blessing then. It's not something you're suffering over and craving and beating yourself up over and letting it affect your self-worth or any of that crap. It's just a beautiful gift that fell into your lap. And those moments happen even for the poor. Look at COVID. Tons of people got just, whoa, look at this money. The government just threw it out to you. I mean, I didn't get any of it, but <laughs> but for those of you who did, that was nice, right? So that's, that can happen again. Maybe someday it'll happen to me. Who knows? In the meantime, live without desiring it, and you'll be happier. Got it? All right. I love you. Yabba da boop